But the story goes <laughs> that um, Adam Marrick, who was at Melbourne, was must have been having a stinker. And Peter German picked up the phone and, and from whatever words he used, which we probably won't repeat, was get him off the ground. Um, and the story, he hung up the phone and he reckons that he picked the phone back up and tell him he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> Cold Heroes, thanks to the Ladbrokes Listen Network. Our very special guest today, Cole Cheney, a man who played 84 games across three clubs. He was well known for being a personality off the field and a very, very effective spoiler. Cole, <laughs> thanks for having a chat today. No worries, thanks for having me on. I can honestly say you are the best dressed guest we've had today. <laughs> so, unlike a lot of these retired footballers who just sort of cruise off into the sunset, it looks like you're making a real fist of it in your post-footy job. <laughs> well, we've got, got me in the morning, so I have to <laughs> go off to work after this, but um, working in commercial real estate now, so if you don't know what you're talking about, at least look like you do, so <laughs> hence the, uh, the slick back hair and the shirt, so let's see how we go. And you're a couple of years into that now? Yeah, I, in commercial I've started just this year. Um, in terms of real estate in general, um, I've been in a residential role for well, since I finished, so two or three years since then. So during your footy career, was that something you thought you'd do post-footy? Not at all, not at all. I didn't, I didn't think too much about my career outside of footy when I was in footy. Um, I was probably more determined to find the best lattes around town and, and whatever else on my day off, but um, through a good mate of mine, Matt Yench, who I played at the Crows with, um, he had a, a family friend, Trent Shawland, who owned some Harcourts branches around Adelaide and just said, if you want to play at Harndorf, I can, I can give you a job here. And um, I thought, oh, real estate, yeah, no worries, I'll, I'll try that. And um, here I am here now. And Harndorf, I won three from three flags. So it was probably a good move in the end. Glorious move, both on and off the field. And how do you find the real estate? Because you've got to deal with some pretty tricky customers from time to time, I dare say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the residential role, I mean, I'm still early days in, in the commercial, but I'm in the industrial team, so... Effectively selling and leasing sheds um, versus selling residential homes, whereas emotional buyers are involved in residential, whereas business buyers are involved in a shed. It's, it's basically a shed. This is how big it is. This is how tall it is. Does it fit? Versus I don't like those doorknobs. I don't like that carpet. I don't like this curtain. Can be a bit more to deal with. So I'm enjoying, this, enjoying the switch up. Well, you look nice and relaxed and you look very sharp, so it's good to hear. <laughs> now we're going to chat about your footy career today. Go back to the juniors. Tell us about the early days. You went on to play Tat Cup for North Ballarat. Yep. Did you always love your footy? Were you always pretty good at footy? Well, I was uh, the youngest of three brothers. I grew up in a little country town called Warwicknabeel. Um, uh, this is a Ladbrokes thing, so the people that are listening probably know of Warwicknabeel because they've got a racetrack there and not much else. <laughs> um, but it was sport or nothing back home. So, um, yeah, I just absolutely love footy. I love basketball, I love cricket, and I just wanted to be better than my bigger brothers. Um, so I tried my guts out at any spare time that I had. Um, so I played all my junior footy there in Warwicknabeel, and um, the closest TAC Cup team was Ballarat, which was two and a half hours from home. Um, so fair commitment from mum and dad to get me to trainings of a Thursday in a game. And that's a home game in Ballarat. You know, you play as far as Gippsland, which is a fair trek as well. So, um, yeah, did, did two years at North Ballarat. Um, Absolutely loved it and was, was fortunate enough to, to get drafted to the Demons. But um, I was sort of that player that still enjoyed my footy to a point where if I got drafted, great. If I didn't, then so be it. Best, um, best way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, some of those guys that I played with were touted as, you know, some of the best picks within, within that draft. So they were probably, I don't know whether they had that pressure as an under-18 player or not, but I, I certainly didn't. I was just going out and having fun. Going to North Ballarat, obviously as you said, some top players to play with and against each week. 
Did you have any idea where you'd fit in in terms of the ability before you got there? And after getting there, did you think pretty quickly, you know what, I can hold my own here? Um, not really. I, I, I mean, I was just the kid from Warrington Bill. I had the, the haircut that followed the, the eyebrow line and around the ears and it was redder than what it is now. Um, so I, I, I was, to get the opportunity to even be on the Rebel squad was, was awesome um, to go down and train with, like I said, some of those guys in my first year, James Frawley, the Brown Twins and, and Sean Grigg. Um, were just like, these, these guys can seriously play compared to me. And I, I played every game that year. I was um, named as the best first-year player for the Rebels. And it was only at the end of that year that I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not too bad at this. And I was always a forward as a junior, but played um, as a defender at um, under-18 level and haven't really changed since then. Now, talk us through the draft. Going into the draft, had you spoken to many teams and did you have a pretty good feeling you were going to be picked up? Um, not really. So I, uh, I went to the state screening, so the draft camp, which was um, you had to get a certain amount of nominations from there, but if you got at least one, then you could go to a state screening. So I went to that the week before I had glandular fever. Um, I think I, and I'm not the fittest bloke, but I think I ran like a 10-2 beep test and just thought, oh, and I was absolutely knackered off going to the recruiters after that saying, oh, yeah, I was crooked that week. It's like, yeah, we've heard it all before, mate, move on. You're just fat and unfit. But um, Alex McDonald, who my manager was, had basically said it's, it's Hawthorne or Melbourne. Um, so we, we had our fingers crossed, but, you know, if it didn't work out, it didn't. Um, we were in the back seat of uh, Dad's car in the backyard trying to tune SEN into the radio that was just picking up every second or third word. <laughs> Um, and it was kind of Hawthorne, their last pick, um, and player number, blah, blah, blah. It was Stuart Jew. I thought, Stuart Jew? <laughs> They've taken this old pretty over me. And I was like, oh, God, there goes my opportunity. And then the Melbourne's second last pick was like, it's either this one or they had another one at 60. So I was at 53 um, and got called out. And it was, yeah, the best best moment ever. I had um, We lived not too far from the local Oval and there was some cricket played and all my mates were over there listening to it and they just abandoned the game and, and ran over to mum and dad's. It was, it was awesome. We, we, we had a few that night and the next day I was off to Melbourne. That's amazing. from Warrenville. And the joy in your parents' face is probably something you'd never forget. Oh, unbelievable. I, um, yeah, I can just remember mum, mum coming over and we just, we just hugged her. I don't think we even said much other than just she was crying and, um, I mean, there was probably a bit of um, pride involved in that but also... My youngest boy's gonna gonna leave for Melbourne, and how's he gonna cope with that? So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of words said, other, and then I think Dad was rustling around the fridge. It was, it was AM. It certainly was AM, and Dad was in the fridge getting a beer out. And <laughs> else. So, um, yeah, I can just remember Mum just giving me this hug and squeezing me for a period of time, which was which was awesome. That's sensational, and. Yeah, as you said, you had to relocate to Melbourne as well because people think, oh, he's a Victorian going to a Victorian club, but it's not as simple as that. It's a decent move. How did you find readjusting to the big lights? I, um, I was so fortunate. I, um, when you get drafted to a club, they, they line you with the host family. And um, the first night I didn't stay with the host family, I stayed with the, the club welfare manager, Ross Monaghan. And when I got to the footy club, yeah, I'm Cole Cheney, blah, blah, blah. And oh, who's your host family? Oh, the Kleins. They're like, oh, you've got the Kleins. They're... They're in Brighton. They're not far from the water. He owned um, some Honda dealerships around town and um, wasn't short of any sort of money. Um, so I walked into this place and just thought, <laughs> wow, this is, this is amazing. At the, at the time that I moved in, we were on South Road in Brighton. Directly behind, they owned the block. They were building a two-storey home there, which was even bigger than the one that I was already like, 
Oh, jeez, this is, this is not bad. Um, and they were the best people ever. Um, I still keep in contact with them and their kids and um, got married uh, 2019 or 2000, yeah, start of 2019 and um, invited them to the wedding and, and still keep in close contact with them. So without their help and guidance, um, I don't think I would have made it too long in Melbourne. Like I said before, I had the the eyebrow length haircut and was working to build to Melbourne. I think I, I think Mum bought me a Tom Tom which stuck to the car and um, the P and Highway was yeah uh, Junction Oval was 15 minutes away. I remember driving out. And she went, this is going to take me longer than 15 minutes <laughs> heading to St Kilda. So um, yeah, there was some adjustments that needed to make, but I was in Melbourne from 18 to. To 25 and, and grew to love the place, um, the nice restaurants and, and the bars and whatever else were aligned with that and I absolutely loved it to a point where I eventually came over to Adelaide and thought, what's there to do here? Um, but if I had have gone for Warrington Bill to Adelaide then it would have been a different story but again, have grown to love the place and got a young family here now so really enjoy it. No, that's superb and the Melbourne Footy Club, they were obviously very good to you and accommodating. Who were some of the players that made you feel at home and who did you go and wet your whistle with once you got socialised? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough, so James Frawley who I mentioned before, I played under 18s with him and he's um, still a good mate of mine but he is the most down to earth guy ever. Um, if he's not having a joke with you or hanging shit on you then he probably doesn't like you so um, I was fortunate enough to know him. I mean the, the guys you get drafted with, Jack Grimes, become a really close mate of mine. Um, and Jake Spencer and Geordie McKenzie and, and those guys I used to knock around with. But having James there as a familiar face was, was awesome for me. Um, and, yeah, we quickly, like you said, wet the whistle and, and had some fun. And not the, not the most successful times that Melbourne were going through at that time, but we had some fun and I, I bloody enjoyed it. It was a tough time on the field. What I find fascinating, though, with that Melbourne era is how tight all the players are and yeah. how good the camaraderie was. And it's almost like if you were winning premierships instead of wooden spoons, people would look at that factor. So it wasn't like it was the group didn't like each other, just probably weren't good enough. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't have anything to compare it against. So I'd often get people saying, whether it was from back home or just the average punter, like, oh, geez, how's the, how's the culture around the club? Is it strong? I mean, we want to win, but it's bloody fun still. Like, yeah. we're still really close mates and... Um, that was that was something that was a really good asset of the club, but unfortunately we we weren't overly successful and and went through that period of, of tanking and all, and all that jazz, which was which was tough on game day. But like I said, the culture of the footy club, um, as I'm sure it is now, um, we were all really really close mates. What can you remember about round one, two thousand and nine, your debut game against North Melbourne? Yep, I um I can yeah same similar to the draft story. It was ringing the parents and it was. There wasn't, I can't recall the exact words, but there was, there was emotion involved um, and it was just a really, really proud moment of mine and my parents and it was almost a reflection on everything that we'd done as juniors to, to finally get that one game, but in my head it was, it was the start of a different journey. Um, yep, that, that work was, was done, but this is, this, this is the start of my AFL career and um, my first matchup was Daniel Wells and, you know, <laughs> I knew how good he was. Um, but fortunately for me, it was if if Wells had gone up to the stoppage, then you can come back and support our deeper defenders. So I essentially had no player for the game, um, which was which was good, and got my hands on the footy more often in that game than I had in any other game throughout my whole career. So um, I was involved in the game, which was great. Um, we lost. 
I had full body cramp halfway through the third. Um, but other than that, it was it was a great experience. Now you spent three years with the D's, as you alluded to. It was a tough time in terms of the wins and losses: three wins, four wins, eight and a half wins. Yeah. What are some of the memories, though, from a positive perspective about your time with the club? Um, like I said, it was it was the culture around the club. It was the people that I've met. Um, the friendships that you build within within that footy club, it was it was it really was awesome. Um, and like I said, the, the first games and and the wins that you do have, I feel like whether that whether that provided a hangover for the following week or not. But when you do get that win and taste that success, it was it felt like you had worked a lot harder to get that. Um, and those were the memories. Although when I was at Hawthorne, we were a much more successful side. But those those wins in the early days were. We're really sweet. It, yeah. was, it was good. You bottle them and you remember them and, yeah, and make right. the most of them. Now, the AFL's done so many wonderful things, but one thing I scratch my head about is the game in China. <laughs> and you were part of the game in China. It was actually your last game for the Ds. Well, I, I will correct you there. I, um, I didn't end up playing in the game, in the, the Shanghai showdown. So um, I think it was the first trade period that had gone over a weekend. So me and my manager were talking. Um, it was probably a two-year build-up around opportunity. Hawthorne was still keen. They were the other side that were potentially going to draft me at the time. They were keen, but it just didn't get done in that first however many days up until the weekend. We were flying out for China on the Sunday. And I remember saying to my manager, and he was so bullish on a deal's going to get done, but you can't not go on this club camp or whatever it was because if it doesn't get done, you can't have not just gone. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was in a connecting flight to Hong Kong um, and got the call and it was <laughs> traded to Hawthorne. We're sitting there. We'd been there for a period of time. We are all about knackered and we're just sitting around. Um, I, I reckon it was Jack Grimes that I had sort of opened up to and said, this is what's going on. I, this, and got the call. He looked at me. I looked at him and went, and he just come over, shook my hand and said, well done, mate. And then the rest of the people around were thinking, what's happened? And I said, I've just been traded to Hawthorne. And I was shitting myself around blokes saying, well, you're not part of this anymore. Um, but they were embracing. They were like, oh, that's awesome, mate. They're, they're a great side, you know, all this. So it was good. And I turned that next seven days in China. They were on a 14-day trip. I turned the next seven days into a footy trip, basically. So... <laughs> We went out every night. Um, those boys had to, you know, get the hydrolytes in and go to a clinic and do that. I was in bed. See you when you come back and we'll, we'll find out what bar we're going to after that. Um, Chris Connolly, he, he came over and said, look, um, they were short on numbers, so they had a few injuries <laughs> and whatever. He said, it'd be a great opportunity for you to play your last game with all your mates in this Shanghai showdown. And I was... One, I'd been on the piss for a few days. I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. But two, I thought... What are, the, what are the implications of getting injured in this particular game? So I just said, oh, I don't think I want to play in that game. And he, what, what do you mean you don't want to play? I said, I need to get out of here. Um, so I basically, they, they had organised an earlier flight. They put me on this, they gave me a ticket um, in China to this bullet train that was going to take me to the airport. And get on that, you'll be, you'll be fine. I got on it and I was fine in the end, but there was a level of stress getting to that airport. I did not know where I was going and this thing took off. I thought, oh, geez, I hope this is getting to the right spot. But, um, yeah, I didn't get, didn't get into that game, but that, that particular trip was, was awesome for me because, like I said, I turned it into a footy trip. Um, it was great. That's even more bizarre than if you did go over and play. So yeah. you went through the whole lead-up, the experience, the best of everything. Connecting flight in Hong Kong and, um, yeah, I was traded, no longer a part of it, so... Um, 
yeah, like I said, I, I drank more than anyone else there and um, went to some amazing nightclubs <laughs> over there. Um, it was it was good, and we um, <laughs> Brisbane were over there at the same time as well. So I mean, history would suggest there was a certain key forward that slipped up on that trip, and I saw it firsthand. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> And I reckon you could work out for those playing at home who that key forward was, doing some very good work in the media right about now as well. Now, looking at that trip, though, how surreal was that experience? I know you didn't play in the game, but just all these AFL players in China. Can you remember just getting looks in the street? Did anyone have any oh, idea? Yeah, I got red hair in China. Like, I mean, <laughs> And then so the, the AFL media were over there, and then when I got traded, there was a, a new story around it. And... One of these busy streets in Shanghai, I was getting a photo shoot done and it was, you know, this, this trade story. And if I wasn't already getting the red hair looks, it was, who is this guy? Like, why is there someone <laughs> around taking photos? And I was like, uh, you know, walking like a model down this street. And I go back and it's like, this is the most cringeworthy thing I've ever done. But, um, yeah, I can just remember all the, the Chinese people just looking at me like, I was already a couple of foot taller than them and, and this red hair. <laughs> this this bizarre human just walking the streets of Shanghai. What a wonderful, wonderful way to end your yeah. career there at yeah. Melbourne. And then you go from statistically the least successful club in the comp to what would be the dominant team in the next four years being yeah. there in Hawthorne. What do you remember about walking through the gates there at the Hawks for the first time? Um, oh, it was it was a, still in the off-season and there was one player at, at, the, at the club at the time and... Still a really close mate of mine, Xavier Ellis, and um, I think he had a multi-bet on the go at the time, and he was sort of half talking to me, half looking at that. We were shooting the basketball, um, and I just, I just kind of remember thinking, this guy's a down-to-earth guy. I reckon I'll get along with him really well, and if, if he's the first and only bloke that I've met today, then it's a good start. So um, we become close mates, and he helped me out through that transition, and... Um, I think Hawthorne, um, although still have some close mates at Melbourne, you you think you've got 45 close mates, then you move and you, you only keep in contact with three or four. And Hawthorne was a bit like that, but um, some of the mates that I met at Hawthorne and the times that we shared was, um, you know, really special. And that's a that's an awesome footy club. And no disrespect to the other two that I played at, the question I often get um, is, what was the best club and what was your favourite? And it's always Hawthorne. And there's an element of Alistair Clarkson being the coach. There's an element of success, but... Um, ultimately, it was it was the people that I'd met and the, and the friends that I'd made. Tell us about Clarko. Um, a good story about Clarko, and, and he was he was brutal. Um, he was bloody smart, but he was um, almost like a second dad. And I was in a in a position where I was in the side, out of the side, you know. Um, so we we were in constant communication. And, and I mentioned Xavier Ellis. We had this. Um, every time I went into Clarko's office, it was called the hit meeting, which is which was hanging there. Um, you're doing well, <laughs> just not this week. Um, but a good story about Clark. I'd, I'd left Hawthorne. I reckon I was gone for maybe three years and, and did a hamstring playing sandful. And Clarko must have read it on the media, you know, whatever. It's, and give me a call. And I was sitting at dinner with my wife, and the phone's ringing. And it's Alistair Clarkson. Oh, what have I done? What, what, would, what would he be ringing me anyway? I jumped up and took the call. Um, and he basically said, mate, I've just seen that you've done your hamstring. Um, hope everything's going all right. Just wanted to check in. Um, he goes, I know you're out of contract at the end of the year. If I could give you any advice is don't rush a hamstring at the start of the year. No one remembers the first half of the year. Just get yourself right for the second half of the year. Um, make sure you play some good footy and you'll get a new contract. Um, didn't work out that way. But I just, when I got back to the table, um, she, my wife, what did he want? I said, 
he just wanted to check in. Saw that I was injured, and I, I just thought that that is, you know, the epitome of what Alistair Clarkson is. Is is he had no right to call me three years after I'd left that footy club, but just to check in was the sort of guy he is. And especially when you're down on your luck and probably feeling a bit flat, yeah. what a perfect time to hear from him. Yeah, that's right. And and just to no other no other reason other than just check in. Um, he took half an hour out of his time to to call me. It was. I was almost starstruck. It was like, that is bloody awesome. I appreciate that so much. So if he is listening, thank you. Good on you, Clark. I'm sure he will be. We might have to get him on one day. He'd have some good stories. Whether he'd share them or not is another thing. But you're four years with the Hawks, 18 wins in a prelim, 17 wins in a grand final loss, 19 wins in a flag, 17 wins in a flag. So you went from a team in Melbourne that would celebrate your victories to almost the team where the rare times they lost, there was probably a crisis meeting on a Monday. Yeah. Well, I mean, another thing about Clarko is he had an ability to... Um, you'd never walk into a team meeting comfortable. So when you're lost, you're sort of half expecting a bake and it might not come. And then when I was there, it was, might have been Gold Coast first years and we were giving them a, a, a decent touch-up. And you'd walk and you'd sort of think, we've just won by over 100 points, you know, this will be just pretty quick. And he would just pick the game apart brutally, you know, Leaders didn't defend here, you know, whatever, whatever. And you're like, geez, we're on, you know, half still having your coffee as you walk in. But um, he had an ability to just keep everyone on his toes, but on our toes. But um, yeah, those those periods of success were were awesome. And and for me to be a fringe player playing in, say, a Josh Gibson's position or a Luke Hodd's position was just so good for me to learn from those guys. Um, and looking back, I wish I'd I'd played more games, but also. I wouldn't change my career because I had to work really hard to, to get to any game. Um, it sort of coincided with any of those old boys getting injured, all reported with Lakey. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a great environment, um, successful environment, and, and the grand final parties were great. Can you remember something that you did for Hawthorne that he picked out and you're just like, you didn't even think about it or you just thought it was something so left field and he's really focused on it? Uh, from a negative point of view? Either or. Um, not really. Um, I think, Clark, I had a bit of a rule. Um, if you'd played less than 50 games, you were almost free of a bake um, and I didn't quite get to that point with him. So I didn't, I wasn't on the end of anything too bad um, other than those, those hit meetings that were just, you know, doing anything too wrong, but we've got Luke Hodge, so we're going to do that for him, um, which was fine. Um, but no, never on the end of a, a serious bake from him. Well, you were smart. You played 27 games for the Hawks, so you escaped his, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, his laser yeah, tongue there. Yeah, that's right. Cool. You did play in a Box Hill Premiership. What was that experience like? That was um, awesome. We've actually, we played that in 2013, so um, we've got our reunion this year. Um, I've already been texting a few mates and trying to organise it on the long weekend where I have no footy as well. Um, to get back and do it, and I'm so keen to get back and, and see some of those guys. Um, like I said, there's some dialogue already happening around it, and it'd be it'd be awesome. It was it was unique in a sense that we had, um, I reckon, five or six of us that played in that game that were held over to be emergency train on for the following week, the AFL Grand Final. So um, Jonathan Simkin was the lucky one to play in both. Um, I was the lucky one that just didn't get to have a beer after the VFL Grand Final. <laughs> um, Chris Fagan brought us into a room and just said, you, five or six of years, whatever, no alcohol tonight, go back to the Box Hill rooms, do the presentation, but you're, in, you're required at training next week. So, I mean, there was an element of, oh, you know, we've just won a VFL flag, you want to celebrate with your teammates. 
but there's also an element of like I'm going to be involved in the AFL preparation. How good? How good's this? Um, so yeah, we um, we did that, and then history would suggest that they won the flag as well. So we just doubled up on celebrations in the that that, that following weekend. So um, yeah, it was it was an awesome game. Um, the VFL we played Geelong, and in the AFL they were playing Geelong in a prelim on the Friday night before the game, and it was. Hawthorne had won, and there was just so much emotion around that to, to us then winning the grand final the, on the Sunday. How hard is it that week, though, knowing that if something happens to one of your teammates, you're a chance to then play in the AFL grand final, and you'd never, ever wish an injury on anyone, let alone a teammate. <laughs> but the reality is that's why you're still training. Yeah, and, and, that, and my older brother, um, <laughs> he was saying, are they injured? Who's injured? Who can you get? Like, who can you get in somehow? And, and Hodgie used to limp around because he was old and he used to treat his body like no other, like he used to crash in. But that was the position that I would play if he wasn't playing and he would walk in Monday, like crutches almost. I'm like, (laughs) he's done not moving too well. He used to do that every week and then by Wednesday he'd start to jog and then main training Thursday he was out there training the house down and then Saturday he'd be the best on field. So I went through that roller coaster of looking at him thinking, I'm a chance here. And then even mates going, I don't reckon Hodgie will get up. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been watching him walk around like a 90-year-old. But, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird feeling that these, these guys are your best mates, so you, you would never want them to be injured, but you'd also want to experience that AFL grand final. But, like I said earlier, I wouldn't change anything. The grand final parade was, was a highlight of mine. I got to do that, so that was, that was great. That is something you dream of doing <laughs> growing up and you got to experience. You play with some superstars at Hawthorne. Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell, just to name a few. But I think one that we all want to talk about is Buddy Franklin. Yeah. What was it like just watching him at training and some of the things he'd do on game day? Well, it was literally that. I found myself just literally watching him sometimes. And um, he's, his ability on field was, you know, we all know about that. It was just awesome. And at training, you'd just see snippets of it. You know, someone might give him a bake about not putting in the effort or you could have done better than that. The next 10 minutes, if you happen to be on him for that 10 minutes, you'll... Great. He's just going to make me look like an imbecile. Um, but he was, he was really, really good. To, like, I mean, he was probably um, away from the Oval. He was probably pretty shy. Um, but to the people he knew, he would give his heart to. And I was just fortunate enough to, to know him. And um, even some of my mates from Warrington Bill, if they ever saw him, he'd give them the time to have a chat. And they'd walk away. I can't believe I just spoke to Lance Franklin. That's unbelievable. Um, but he was, he was awesome. He's... He still gets spoken about. Like, that's still the same question that I get if I'm ever talking to someone out there about footy. It's like, how's Lance Franklin? How's Buddy Franklin? It's like, just a normal bloke that's bloody good at footy. Just um, amazing. Yeah, a really, really nice guy. Now, you finished up with Hawthorne and you went to Adelaide. You spent four years there. How did that come about? Um, that was on the back of uh, basically opportunity. You know, I, I was playing some not bad footy in the VFL and um, Adelaide... Adelaide just lost a final, I think, and and I think Jack Zebel, whether it was the final or not, but Jack Zebel would kick seven goals on whoever was playing on him. So they saw a need for a medium-sized defender um, and teed up a meeting. And I'd already done, obviously, from Melbourne to Hawthorne. It was a bit of a pain in the ass, moving and doing all that. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. But my manager was like, let's have the meeting. Went over, met Phil Walsh and, and the guys um, and kind of went into the meeting without any expectation, like, oh, I'll just, I'll do it. I don't think I want to do it. And I think 
with that relaxed attitude, I, I must have come across okay because I remember my manager walking out and goes, mate, that was unbelievable. We'll get three years out of this. I said, if you can get three years, then, yeah, let's do it. We've got three years. I'm like, okay, so we're doing it now. <laughs> Great. So um, moved over to Adelaide and, again, don't regret that decision at all. At the time, it was a bit like, you know, I can't be bothered doing this, moving into state. But where I grew up to Melbourne was, you know, four hours that way and it's four and a half hours this way. So I was no further from home. Um, so I thought, oh, shit, let's just do it. And, and we've been here ever since. So, yeah, thankful for making that move. Absolutely great decision in hindsight. And was at the time as well, you mentioned Phil Walsh, your first year with the club. Unfortunately, tragedy struck in a way that no footballer, no person should ever have to go through. That must have been just horrific. And can you remember the day when you found out what happened? Yeah, I, I do. I, so Darren Milburn was the backline coach at the time and, and he called me you know, the morning of um, and it was, it was like half six in the morning and the phone's there and I kind of woke up to it. Um, saw that it was Dasher and I thought, oh, that's a pocket dial, you know. So I just left it. It rang out and it rang straight back again, I thought. The next thought was, I can't have played that bad, can I, surely? Um, took the call and I can just remember the word, like, Phil's been murdered. Not, not passed away or whatever else. It's Phil's been murdered. Um, take your time, get into the club, but we're all here. Um, and I didn't live too far from the club, so I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. And again... The emotion around getting drafted and first game, like I said, there was no... I can't remember the words that were spoken, but spoken. But the, that morning, I reckon we sat in the change rooms for what felt like three or four hours and no-one said a word. And you just your head was down and you'd look up at your mate and you'd just have a bit of a cry and then you'd just kind of look down and look up. The only words that were spoken was um, someone with a coffee. Do you want a coffee? Yes. Do you want a toasty? Yeah. And we just sat there in silence for, yeah, like I said, what felt like forever. And then um, we went round to um, the chairman, Chappie's house, and had a few beers. And um, it was, yeah, it was so, yeah, so surreal. It was a very emotional time for the footy club. And for the players to then go, I was I was injured at the time. And for the players to then go over to Perth and, and play in that game um, was just a massive amount of strength shown from those guys. How did the club support the players and support the playing staff? Because it's just something that no football club should ever have to even think about going through. Yeah, our welfare manager, Emma Emma Barr, was exceptional. Um, you know, people deal with it in different ways, but she was, she was there like that for anyone, whether that was your parents who were having, you know, How's my son going? You know, is he is he okay? She was dealing with that. She was dealing with the players that weren't dealing as well as some other players. Um, but the support that she showed the entire group, as did the whole coaching staff, and and Camper Alley to step up and be the coach would have been pretty hard as well. Um, but we made a final that year, and um, we won a final, which was which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, hats off to Emma Bar. She, she did an amazing job for the entire footy club. And we know the Adelaide Crows supporters love their team and love their players, but... You must have taken a lot of strength from how much support they showed during that time. Oh, unbelievable. I remember the, the flowers that were around West Lakes that just sort of started there and then just went out to the street. It was, you know, you, you, you cop a bit of criticism as a football player in the public and whether you played well or, you know, fantasy points or multi-bets or whatever it is. Um, but that, that period, it was, it was all love. Um, um, as it was love from the playing group to the supporting group, it was, you know... It, it, as weird as it sounds, it brought the footy club 
even tighter than what it was. Um, a unique situation, but um, the love that the whole town had for the Adelaide Football Club at that time was, was amazing. It was a horrible tragedy. From a personal point of view, you had a really good year in 2015. You played 12 games. As you said, the club made a final. So it must have been satisfying at the end of that first year, having since made the move, that you produced such a good season. Yeah, and I... Um, yeah, so I, I, I got injured about midway through. So I didn't play from that, that 12th game to... Well, 11th game to the first final. Um, and I'd sort of got my back not too bad since then. And... and um, I remember Campo came up to me and first final, um, we need your finals experience in the team. So we want you to come in and, and play in the back line. I didn't allude to the fact that I hadn't played finals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just said, yeah, mate, good call. Yeah, I'll, I'll come in and, and do that. So yeah, played in that, that Bulldog final and um, it was really tight. I can remember Tex kicking this cross ground kick into Charlie Cameron, the Ford 50 that basically sealed the win for us and... Um, that was an amazing feeling to to have gone through what we had gone through for that for that year um, to then win a win a final was unbelievable. Um, yeah. Now after that final against the Bulldogs, you got your name in the papers, and, <laughs> and not for the fact you played in your first final, you found yourself in a little bit of hot water. Yep, I um, I did, and like like I said, the um, the support around from supporters around the tragedy of Phil Walsh was all love. But when they thought that I had done something to jeopardise the body, <laughs> I walked down the street and I did people toot their horn and yell out, you're a dog, and all this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I had more impact on all three footy clubs that I played at off-field than I did on-field. And I was always a bit of a jokester and, and whatever else. And, and this one just went a little bit too far. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up in a room with... Um, the integrity unit. Well, tell us what happened first for those that aren't familiar. Yeah, so Daniel, Daniel Talia and Michael Talia, so obviously brothers. Michael was playing at the Bulldogs and I, I, I don't know if he'd just been dropped or whatever, but Daniel and Michael were having a conversation around whatever and um, we'd, be, we'd won, we were playing Hawthorne the following week and I had, I had a coffee with Benny Stratton the next morning um, and he said something, he said something like, I... Oh, Great win, can't wait to smash this next week. I went, what about this? We knew everything the Bulldogs were going to do because Michael was telling Daniel. And he was like, you're kidding. And anyway, I just, that was what it was. And then it, it left at that. Um, ben Stratton, so Luke Beveridge was the coach of Bulldogs, who was an assistant coach at Hawthorne at the time. Ben Stratton then went to Josh Gibson, I think it was, and said, why well, Gene said this? And Josh was like, that's pretty rogue. He then told Bevo, Bevo rang Strato, Strato rang me and said, um, the conversation we had at breakfast, Bevo's going to give you a call. I said, bullshit. <laughs> Are you serious? He's like, I don't know if you should call him or not, but he's going to give you a call. I'm like, oh, no. This is going to implode in my face big time here. So I gave Bevo a call and he said, mate, what's going on? I said, mate, it is, it's whatever. And then, um, yeah, it came out that I was, I was, uh, I, I can't, so my name is pronounced Cheney, not Cheney, but the, the headline the Herald Sun was Cheney's Whispers. Um, and it just basically said that I'd started a joke that just went, went viral and, and out of control. And, um, I mean, it was, it was all done after a little while, but it was a bit, a bit embarrassing. So you made that up just a shit stir? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are those practical jokes that just takes off and you're like, yeah. well, maybe I've gone too far. Yeah, and, and, and when I was trying to stamp it out, it was just like, oh, this, is, this is not good. But, um, 
yeah, thankfully both those Talia boys didn't get in any trouble and I, I wore the egg, so I'm happy to, happy to do that. <laughs> How was Bevo on the phone? Um, cold. <laughs> I, 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 um, I got along with Bevo really well. He was my line coach. Uh, we haven't spoken since then. Um, yeah, so, I mean, not that I expect him to call or anything like that, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a cold conversation. <laughs> so you haven't spoken to him since? You haven't seen him since, obviously? I haven't seen him. I, 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 if I did see him in the street, I would go over and say day. but we haven't spoken. That might be a good podcast, getting you and Bevo back together. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll work on that one. <laughs> now, on the back of that season where you played 12 games, you played finals, you go into 2016. How was your pre-season? Because you went on to have what I think would be safe to say your best footy season at AFL level. Yeah, um, and yeah, no, no surprise that that pre-season um, was the best I'd had. I played every game in that 2016 season, and. Um, yeah, I, I, that was that was the year that I felt I'm part of this. Um, I was no longer a fringe player. I had a lot more confidence on the field, um, and my performance was showing. Um, I can sort of even through the Hawthorne days, it was yeah, I'm playing, but it's only because such and such is injured or such and such is reported that you kind of just numbered your weeks. Um, whereas at Adelaide, that that 2016 season, it was. I feel a part of this. Um, I felt like I was a leader within the back line and um, enjoyed my footy and, and played some good footy along the way. And the big difference, I dare say, just the mental state where you're not thinking every Thursday, am I in or am, am I out? You yeah. know you're playing each week and you yeah. build confidence from that. That's right. And um, whether you had a bad bad game or a really good game or whatever it was, you didn't get too far ahead of yourself or you didn't get too flat. Whereas at Hawthorne, if I played a bad game, I knew that that was, OK, we'll, we'll move you on and we'll try someone else in that position. Where at Adelaide, it was, I mean, there wasn't, hopefully there wasn't too many bad games within that year, but when there was a bad game, I didn't feel like I'm going to get dropped here. Um, not that I was too far ahead of myself, but I felt like I was secure in that, that position I was playing. Um, and it was, it probably suited me most. There was periods of time at Hawthorne where I was playing as a genuine fullback on some blokes that were a lot bigger than what I was, but at Melbourne, we had Talia and, and Lever playing those roles, and um, I was, and Cole Hardigan. And I was sort of in between um, chopping out wherever I could, which, which suited my game perfectly. On the back of that fantastic 2016, unfortunately 2017 was the exact opposite. You just yep. never got warm through injuries. Yeah, so I, um, whether it was just my body saying that you shouldn't play a full AFL season or not, but my <laughs> groin's just packed up. Um, so I, I didn't do a pre-season at all. Um, and then when I tried to come back into training, then soft tissue happened. So I was... I was doing hamstring sneezing. It was just ridiculous. Um, so I had sore groins. I was doing my hammies whenever I wanted. Um, it just become a really tough season, um, that 2017 season. But then the flip side, the, the club was doing really well, um, which, which added an element of frustration, knowing that um, these guys that were playing in grand finals, I felt like that was, that was my position and, and I just couldn't get there. I, I think I played um, a few games towards the end of the sample and tried to get up a bit. I was, I was so far off it. It was, yeah. And the Crows were electric that season. They finished the home and away season on top of the ladder and went on to make the grand final against Richmond. How different was it watching that grand final compared to the Hawthorne ones where you knew you were clearly in the team until the injury struck? Yeah, I, it, it was exactly that. It was, I was watching, from a Hawthorne point of view, I was watching as a pure fan. Yep. I was... I didn't think that I deserved to spot in that team. I didn't think that I was better than Josh Gibson or Luke Hodge. So I was sitting there with my beer, enjoying watching watching my mates go about it. Whereas the Adelaide one, 
I mean, I still had a beer in my hand, but I was watching with a, with a different level of envy. Um, without naming names, I was sort of looking at them and thinking, oh, that could have been me, that could have been me. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they went down in that grand final and um, not that I wanted Richmond to win, I still wanted my mates to win, but I was just so jealous that they were, they were doing it and not me. Which is a perfectly natural instinct. And then on the back of 2017... Unfortunately for the Crows, the wheels half fell off and a lot of people speculate that that infamous camp had something to do with that. Yeah. You were on the camp. Tell us about it. Yeah, so there was, there was three different levels of, of the camp. There was the leaders that went on one part and the thing was with, with the camp, it was such a secret. You didn't know what anyone else was doing and um, you went on different buses and ultimately we were at the same destination but we didn't really know where we were. Um, the, the group that I was on was the, the, the in-betweeners. So we weren't the, the young guys, but we weren't the leaders. So the group that I was in, um, I mean, from my point of view, I could walk away from from that camp with a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke and just a bit of a... That didn't hit the spot. Um, that was a bit of a waste of time. Um, but I, I was... Yeah, I, I just... I don't know. Some of the stories you hear from that... The leaders camp now is like... <laughs> that's a bit rogue. Um... And then you find out that, yeah, that, that's actually what happened. I was like, oh, geez, that's, that's a bit strange. But I think the biggest divide that happened from that is there was this confidentiality agreement that was signed. No one could really talk to each other about it, which, which created a, a divide within the footy club. Um, you didn't know if one of your good mates was struggling from what had happened on the camp and you couldn't, didn't feel like you're in a position where you could go over and ask him, are you OK, what, whatever, because you felt like the groups were just segregated. They were doing their thing and they're not going to talk about it. We did our thing, which was a bit of a joke, and the first to first, first to three year players did more of a physical activity where it was hard for them, but not something that they'd walk away and and be scarred from. But um, I think that was the biggest issue that we didn't actually all come together and talk about it. Um, and then the next the next issue was the fact that a lot of the little meetings that we're having about the camp and how we can get better and how can we move on from it was then landing in the media's lap. So then that created another meeting who's telling the media about this meeting. So then we'd have another meeting and it might be at Taylor Walker's house, you know, just a little cone of, you know, ten blokes. But then that would land in the media's lap. It's like, what the hell's going on here? How's this, how's this getting out? Um, so I think that's, that was just the little, little cracks that were appearing within the footy club that ultimately turned out to be a pretty, pretty shitty year. Um, so you personally, you didn't have an experience from it that you wake up going, I can't believe that happened, I'm still upset, I'm still angry? No, not at all. Um, the only thing I was angry about, I was getting married the, the weekend after um, and I was going over to the Gold, well, on the Gold Coast um, and I, in typical me fashion, hadn't organised the ties for the suits just yet but there was an MJ bale on the Gold Coast that I thought, oh, beautiful, I'll go get the suits, I'll go get the ties and then... Um, the day that I was, had organised to go get the ties, we got a group message saying, hand your phone in, we're leaving now. And I'm like, the ties. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I went to um, Heath Uni at the time. I said, mate, um, I'm pretty rattled at the minute. My wife's going to absolutely... Well, my fiance at the time um, is going to kill me here. I was meant to get these ties organised. I haven't done it. Um, he's like, is there another way you can organise it? Like, maybe call someone else? I'm like... God. And then that was in front of a few guys. So then after that, he just kind of winked at me and said, you'll be okay. So we all come into a group and then the leaders then took off on their bus and the message for the other guys was, we're not actually leaving today. So just stress. <laughs> and we're like, oh. <laughs> so then we left the next morning or whatever it was, or we had time. So I went straight to the MJ Bale and, 
and organise these ties. So that was all, all sorted. But there was a period there. Where I thought, yeah, could be looking back and saying my ex-fiance yeah, as opposed yeah, to my wife. Yeah, that's right. I've slipped <laughs> up here. But um, that was all part of the, you know, there's no structure around what we're doing for the next few days. It could happen like this. Um, there's no way you can prepare for it. It is what it is. We had no real indication on what we were doing. It was, yeah, this is this is just what we're going to do. Just flow with it. And then we got on that bus and there was some weird music playing and all that jazz and it was just, it was strange. I mean, I, if I, I could have potentially taken it more serious, but I was there with some close mates that we just kind of got the giggles up more often than what we should have. Um, and, I mean, we probably, from an early stage, saw that this thing wasn't going to hit that well. Um, so we turned it into a bit, of a bit of a joke. I remember I was rooming with Sam Jacobs after our first night and we just laid down. We, and I, I don't know whether I giggled or he did, but, you know, when someone starts and you, <laughs> and we, for the next, I felt like hours, we just laughed and laughed and laughed and then just quoted back these guys and what we'd heard and laughed. So from my point of view and from Sam's point of view, we had a, we had a bit of a laugh about it. Probably the best way to take it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now... 2018, you get back. Again, injury is a bit of a problem. You play eight games in what turns out to be your final year at AFL level. Yeah. So that was the year with the Clarkson call. So I, I did a, a hamstring in the Sandful round one. Um, and Clarko, like I said, he was just make sure you're just doing everything you can. So the back half of the year, you can you can play some footy and play some good footy and hopefully get a contract, um, which is what I did. I felt like at times I've, my hammy was okay, but I was just doing... Grade one strains that were just two weeks and then you'd just go into a hamstring protocol that would then you'd start from start and go up. And Anyway, we just I did a grade one hamstring and ended up missing five weeks for it because it was just like, let's just get it completely right. Um, and under Clarko's guidance, coming at the back, back end of the year and thought I was playing some okay footy, um, but not good enough. I, I ended up getting dropped for the last game, um, which was ultimately my last... The second last game was my last game for my career and, and didn't get a contract after that. And um, Yeah, tried our best, but the, the body just sort of fell out in the end. You played 80 full games of AFL level, a sensational achievement. What's something you look back on or one game that you're particularly proud of? Um, I, I can remember the, the meeting that I had with Phil Walsh going into the Crows and he said, give me your three best performances last year. And the start of the year was, um, I don't know if Lakey was probably out because he choked someone or something. Um, and Clarko came up to me and said, you've never in your career, you've never played more than four games. So Brian Lake must have been injured for a good stint or, or reported or whatever it was. And he said, I can give you four games straight up. Um, so, and we're going to trial you as a full back. Um, so my first... Three or four. It must be four weeks. Um, in no particular order. I played on Jonathan Brown, Petrie, Pavlich and Essendon was Carlisle, I think. And had done not a bad job. So I said to Phil, those were the four games that I was happy with last year and, and proud of. I was playing underweight and, and did a good job. And he said, what's the worst game that you played for the year? And I said, well, it was the following week. <laughs> it was Easter Monday. It was against the Big Hawk. And um, he got a hold of me. <laughs> And that coincided with Brian Lake coming back. Um, and Phil actually said, that was the game, I watched that game, that's the game that, that's the reason why you're in this room. Because I watched you get thrown around, but not once give up. Um, so upon reflection, that was, you know, the most recognised crappest performance I've ever done. 
but that was probably the most proud that I've ever been in terms of, you know, still trying to find a way to, to get around the big hawk. And it was, it all come in the sort of last quarter. He'd kicked one goal to three quarter time. I thought I was doing not a bad job. And then I think he kicked four goals in about 10 minutes. And it was just a real shit show. Um, and it was, it was the, it was the first week the AFL had trialled the names across the shoulders. So of the 90,000 people that were there on Easter Monday, I don't know what percentage of them would have known me otherwise, but they could at least read my name on the back and they were just given to me. Um, they weren't all saying Cheney. Some of them were Shanae. Some of them were Chinese. I don't know what they were saying, but, you know, the name there and they were just hurling abuse at me. It was, it was a pretty, pretty dark day um, to a point where I wake up Easter Monday now and... Still think about that game, and he's still bloody kicking goals, Hawkins. He is. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that's been on the back of a drumming. He's he's quite a special player, um, and he's really good mates with Xavier Ellis as well. And I, I caught up with him that off season with Xavier, and and Tom was late, or we were already there, and he said, "You boys want a beer?" I said, "This is the least you could do. You ruined my career." And he was saying, "Sorry, mate." <laughs> <laughs> Taking the piss, but yeah, I will have a beer. Actually, two of them. Um, but he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he got, got a hold of me. I felt like I could just do nothing about the size of his body there. And they say they don't get any smaller in the fourth quarter as well. No, and I mean it, it, that game just panned out. They were always close games those those Hawthorne Geelong Easter Monday games. But it was just I remember Bartel got it out of the middle without even looking, just kicked this spiral, and a, a torp will go one way and then just gradually tail off this way. It's coming towards me. I'm thinking finally I've got a one position here, and it just. Just tailed to Hawks left hit, and he just grabbed it like that. There's <laughs> <laughs> the luck here, but um, it was a close game. They won by a couple of kicks, I think. So I was, yeah, the reason. Now you mentioned beers. <laughs> Your favourite post-season footy trip? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I I was on most of them. Um, I, I think I went Bali, Vegas, Bali, Vegas, Bali, Vegas, Bali for my entire career. Um, Oh, I reckon, what year was it? Must have been 2014. We went to Vegas and I I was with Luke Loudon who got traded to Adelaide um, at the same time as we were in LA. Um, and not that the footy trip was ever going to be a small week, but we got traded in LA and then went to Vegas. So then that went, you know, we, this is our last drinks together. It was <laughs> almost like the, the Shanghai showdown. Um, but, yeah, we uh, that, that, that footy trip was... Was big. It was fun um, with with your mates for what we thought was the last footy trip we would do together. Um, we've been on trips together that aren't footy trips since then because we're we're good mates. But um, yeah, that 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 trip in Vegas was was good. Now, if you're 18 year old listening to this right now and you've got footy trips coming up for the next 10 years, what's some advice on how to get through? Do the same thing again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my first one was Vegas. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my older brother's three years older than me, looks more like me than me. Um, so I took his 21-year-old ID over as an 18-year-old. Um, so I did that and I remember the first night I was with Brad Green and David Neitz and, and Cameron Bruce, I think, and we were the last of however many just sitting in this bar drinking and I remember came looking at Brad Green or David, one of the two, and just said, you've ruined the young fella's trip because I must have been just so pissed. <laughs> And the next day, we went to this pool party, and it's not a good scene for a redhead in the first place, but a hungover redhead at a pool party in Vegas. I remember I had this towel on my head. And I was just walking around. I was so sick, but I just thought, I've just got to... I can't be, you know, as the 18-year-old coming in. They're probably thinking, why is he here in the first place? But, um, 
I remember just thinking, just get get six beers in and just see <laughs> see how it happens. And that was it was an awesome awesome time. So my advice would be to do it all again. Yeah, <laughs> you only live once. <laughs> you got to have a crack. Now, there's a great story that I've heard a few times about when you went away with some players at the end of 2018 to a wedding. Yep. There was some talk you might go around in the AFL system again. You were having none of it. Walk us through that fitness regime. Yeah, I, I can't remember whose wedding it was. Um, but there was a group of us, the Crouch brothers, Cito, Tommy Lynch. Um, I don't know who else was involved, but... We had a reasonable, reasonable night the night before and a few of them had said, um, oh, we'd bet, we better go home. We've got training in the morning. Um, it wasn't at the club. It was they were just going to go for a run around the town or whatever. So me and Brad Crouch thought better of that and thought, nah, we'll, we'll, we'll go for another beer somewhere and, and did that. But the next morning when they come around and said the training, um, Brad was, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, I wish I hadn't had those last few beers. Anyway, they, they change are coming. <laughs> No, I'm not going. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not playing anymore. I'm not going for this run. So I, I basically went to the mini bar and twisted the lid off one and um, had a beer and just waited for them to <laughs> come back from this run, um, which then had all these questions around. Why didn't you come? Which was then when I said, I'm not going to not going to take on this rookie role that that the club want me to do. So um, that was basically the end of it. And, and me and Paul Season went to another wedding not long after. Um, it was Jake Lever's wedding and. And same thing, Paul said, come on, come on, mate, let's go for a run. You know, this, you haven't said no completely, it's still on the cards. And that got the better of me. I thought, oh, you know what, I will go for a run with you. And we were doing maybe fartlek or whatever and say the minute on, Paul put about, I don't know, 50 yards on me and I was looking at him and then the next minute he was around a bit further and then I just said, ah, oh, I'm walking this. And then he went around, we were running around this, this little creek thing um, in Bright and... Um, Eventually he got back to me. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? I said, nah. Again, I'm done. I'm not. He's, uh, and he, I remember him saying, could you imagine if me, you and the Crouch boys win a premiership next year and imagine the celebrations? I said, yeah, that's all well and good, Paul, but I've got to be in the team and I've been given offered a rookie contract, so that means I'm the 45th on the list. Um, I do hamstrings when I sneeze and I don't think you blokes are going to make the grand final anyway. So <laughs> I'm out, mate. And he just basically said, yeah, well, fair enough. So we went to the Lever's wedding that night and had a good night. That's the best the retirement announcement I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, I think um, a, lot of, a lot of what happened throughout my career was based around a few beers. <laughs> Cole, we've loved having a chat. You're an absolute superstar. I'm going to finish with two questions. Best coach spray you've ever heard? And best sledge on the field you've ever heard? <laughs> well, <laughs> the best coach's spray I heard... Well, I didn't hear it. I heard it secondhand. We had a, um, an injured player that went up into the box in the VFL with Peter German, Casey Scorpions, and he could give an absolute spray. Um, but the story goes <laughs> that um, Adam Merrick, who was at Melbourne, was, must have been having a stinker. And Peter German picked up the phone and, and from whatever words he used, which we probably won't repeat, was get him off the ground um, and the story he hung up the phone and he reckons that he picked the phone back up and tell him he's fat and <laughs> <laughs> slammed the phone back down so that, that, that story then got relayed which I won't name the player who was in the, the box that told us what happened because he probably shouldn't have done that but um, that would have been I don't know what the runner then went out and told Adam Eric <laughs> but um, yeah Peter German could give it a hell of a spray and um, what was the other one? Be sledge. Sledge. Um, I, 
I played on Daisy Thomas, so it was a it was a tagging experiment that went well wrong because I was never the fittest bloke out there. But um, I got the orders to go and tag Daisy Thomas one day at the G, so he had plenty of grass to run me around. And I was in behind him. He had a water bottle. And he, he squirted it, but he didn't squirt it in his mouth. He squirted it straight in my face. And there's a level of anger that comes. I pushed him, and he said, "Sorry, man. I was trying to wash those ugly freckles off your face." <laughs> I just thought. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no worries. So just moved on from that. But um, apart from the usual redheads and whatever else, but that was that was somewhat clever. Do you ever give a spray or a bit of a sledge? Not really. No, nah, not really. Just uh, shut my mouth and keep trying your best. Well, we're very glad you opened your mouth for this podcast. It's been great fun. You've done a terrific job. Thank you for that and all the best with the real estate. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Kyle Cheney. Cheers. Thanks, Quinn. Hey lads, a guy in the community says he's keen on the Ruffy in race 7. Do we trust him? Well, his username is Big Stats Guy. Say no more. Connect with a community of like-minded punters only in Labros communities. T's and C's apply and available on website. You win some, you lose more.